listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. should be no shock to anyone out there that our criminal justice system is not perfect. Very, very far from it. There are people in Michigan who serve out entire sentences in prison and then live the rest of their lives labeled as felons who never did anything wrong. Sometimes we figure out we've put the wrong person behind bars and let them go. But then what? Many of these people have lost years or even decades of their lives. Do we expect them to walk out of prison and go on with their lives as if nothing happened? Of course not. But here in Michigan, we don't give them anything. We don't give them any compensation. Any compensation. We don't even offer them the same kind of reentry services that parolees get, uh, even though they've actually committed a crime. But that could soon change under legislation headed to Governor Rick Snyder's desk. The bills are sponsored uh, by one of our next guests, who will be State Senator Steve Bita. He is still on his way into the studio. But joining me now is someone who had this experience, Julie Bomber. Uh, Julie, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, talk quickly about uh, what happened to you and sort of how you find yourself in this situation that we're talking about. Uh, back in 2005, I was um, wrongfully convicted of child abuse first degree. Uh, back in 2003, my sister gave birth to a, a little boy whom she was unable to care for. And so with the blessing of my family, I decided to do an in-family adoption and it uh, pretty much was looking pretty uh, joyful for everybody in the family, if you will. Uh, during, the, during the labor and delivery, though, there was some complications, and my nephew was uh, hospitalized for about a week after his um, birth. Um, I was informed because I, I wasn't legally the parent yet. I was just going through my sister, and I was just told that she, uh, Philip, we named him Philip, that he was suffering from... Um, in uh, digestive tract systems or whatnot, you know, with bad digestive tract, um, and that he was going to be a fussy eater. So when I brought him home, he was a week old, and of course he was on a very regimen uh, eating schedule and whatnot. But when he was about five weeks old, he quit eating from me. And when I say that, I mean he wouldn't take down a, a proper feeding. He just his his lips were pursed, and he just he didn't eat, he had no uh, desire for the bottle. So after Several hours I contacted his pediatrician, and she's recommended that I take him into the emergency room so that they could do um, a series of tests and mm -hmm. find out exactly, you know, what's going on with him. Uh, about several hours after we got into the uh, hospital, um, this was in Mount Clemens, they decided to transport him down to Children's Hospital because they said they weren't sure uh, what, what his issues were. Uh, obviously, he had no external injuries. Uh, he was just very lethargic. So about 24 hours after being admitted into Children's Hospital, one of the neonatal uh, nurses uh, who does the measuring of the infants on a daily basis noticed that his head grew considerably larger in circumference. I don't know the exact figure, but it was alarming enough for her to contact a neurosurgeon on staff. Mm -hmm. And they uh, did an MRI and a CAT scan, and they saw bleeding in the brain. And... Um, from that conclusion, they, they suspected that I shook him, my being the primary caretaker and the last one with him. Right. Um, of course, I was the suspect. And so after uh, two, after two years, um, 
uh, I was I was convicted. Yeah, and and so you you went to prison then. Uh, how long? How I was long sentenced to ten to fifteen years, and so I went in two thousand and five, and uh, it was in two thousand and nine with the aid of the U of M Innocence Project and uh, several other entities. I was able to uh, have my conviction overturned. Yeah. So what what was that? Uh, what was that process like? What did the the Innocence Project uh, show, or what did they prove, uh, in order to show that you didn't? Uh, well, with do the it? aid of several doctors, um, all pro bono, um, they just uh, they reevaluated Philip's uh, birth records and his uh, admitting records at the uh, Children's Hospital, and it was clear to a radiologist, um, of course, not to a layperson, but the, uh, the radiologist saw it and said. Well, this child never suffered any form of abuse. It's very clear that he had um, a childhood, a form of childhood stroke, the venous sinus thrombosis. Wow. And so it was from that point um, that yeah. that things started turning that around. That they started, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and so how long after they discovered this uh, did it take for you to, to, to be exonerated? Uh, well, my case had to go through the court systems, so about two years. Mm-hmm. Everything came to light about in 2007. It wasn't until 2009 that I was I was released from prison. Yeah, yeah. And uh, talk to me about what that was like, the day you walk out of prison after learning that, you know, as you always knew, of course, you didn't do what you were accused of doing, uh, but now you're left to try to piece your life back together. Well, of course, it was um, it was a it was a joyful experience, you know, leaving sure. that environment. <laughs> right. um, however, uh, uh, I wasn't I wasn't fully exonerated. They I had to go through another second trial. So for about ten months, I was in a state of limbo, and they had me on a tether. So, um, nonetheless, I was able to experience freedom at a certain degree, uh, but. Um, it, it was very, very hard because it was almost like coming back from the dead. You know, it, uh, I had to regain my, my identity. I had to uh, regain my, my reputation amongst my family and my peers and sure. whatnot. And so it was basically like starting from scratch, which isn't fun. You know, we all do it when we leave our family, you know, our parents' homes, you know, in our early or, you know, our early adulthood. But uh, to start fresh again, it's just, um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not a fun experience. Yeah. So how has that unfolded uh, since 2009 for you? Uh, what, what, where have you found uh, yourself at this point? Well, currently, uh, you know, I'm, I still have, suffer from emotional scars or whatnot, but uh, physically I've, I've been able to obtain, you know, uh, secured employment. I purchased a home back in 2013, and I'm just trying to rebuild my life. Yeah. You know, it's it's a very slow process. You know, I'm curious what happened with your nephew uh, ultimately. Is he... Uh, he was diagnosed with a cerebral palsy at six months of age. Uh, he was adopted out prior to my even being found guilty, uh, which leads me to believe that there's flaws in other areas of our system. Uh, in addition, uh, he's he was adopted out to, to a good family, and um, I have no contact with him by the family's request. Yeah. But from my understanding, he he does have limitations that uh, that surround you know the sure. cerebral His palsy. Sure, yeah. sure. But that, that's also got to be a source of some pain for you, I would of think. Of course, that, yes. Uh, it's it's a cross I carry every day. Yeah, yeah. 
thank you very much for for being here and sharing that story. It's very uh, it's very courageous of you to be able to come and and talk. Well, yeah, about Well, yeah, thank you that. for having I, me. We need to educate more. You yeah. know, I didn't know wrongful convictions happened until it happened to me. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we're also joined now by State Senator Steve Bida. He's a Democrat from Warren. Uh, he's here to talk about some bills that uh, would change this. Steve, welcome yeah, to the program. Thank you. It's welcome to be here. And it's yeah. actually the first time I've seen Julie since this uh, bills that we're going to talk about passed. So I'm, I'm really uh, very happy to yeah. see her. Yeah. Um, uh, talk about the current the, posture of the bills. They have passed. They are awaiting, awaiting the governor's, the governor's action. signature. Yeah. Yeah. We've, um, I've been working on this since I was first elected in 2003. And it was usually one of my first bills that I would introduce every session because I had run across a story similar to what Julie had gone into. They're not very common. Uh, it's very, uh, very difficult to, uh, when somebody's been proven guilty, um, I think the system probably works pretty well on that case, but uh-huh. there are cases, those rare cases, where somebody was actually innocent of the crime that they were convicted of and imprisoned for, and uh, and they lose everything. And as Julie's story said, it's uh, there's no typical story on them, but they're all pretty heartbreaking. They lose their families, they lose their careers, they lose their standing in the community. Um, all that that time, and, uh, and and I visited most of our prisons in, in the state. And uh, frankly, um, I'm always even as a visitor, and I know I can go out. I'm I'm always very happy to to be out of there when yeah, I leave. Right. So um, I was inspired uh, to to do this uh, when I was first elected to the House Representatives because I I did run across a couple stories like Julie's, and uh, was really appalled to find out that we don't do anything. Uh, most states have some sort of compensation in place. The federal government has some sort of uh, compensation in place. Um, not only we don't do anything, but we actually have uh, somebody that's been wrongfully convicted and exonerated, but we, we actually treat somebody who is guilty and was, well, I guess you'd say, rightfully convicted um, better upon their release than we do somebody that was uh, innocent. Yeah. So I set about to change that, and um, this session, um, after... Um, geez, about at least a half a dozen tries in previous sessions of the legislature. Um, we got it out of the Senate, and uh, last week it passed the House and came back for concurrence, and uh, it's on its way to the governor's. It's uh, Senate Bill uh, 291, which I'm the sponsor of. Also, there's a companion House bill uh, by Representative Stephanie Chang, who's mm-hmm. been great to work with on this issue, that uh, deals with some of the support services that uh, are denied people who've been wrongfully convicted. Uh, my bill is the one that um, will allow for... Uh, compensation up to $50,000 a year per year that they were wrongfully convicted based on the number of years. Right. And uh, it's a, it's really a small amount when you look at tort awards. It's not quite a tort award, um, like you would, you know, your traditional car accident or malpractice type case. Yeah. But um, what we're trying to do is to seek to put people in a position where they're not coming out destitute, they're not coming out with, uh, you know, this, this huge gap on their resume. Um, you know, one of the interesting things, and I, I become friends with a lot of the exonerees, talking to them about the reentry into society. And uh, even though they've been exonerated, even though they have the newspaper clippings and the video clips to prove it, you know, a lot of employers kind of look kind of funny at them, like, well, you're, you're a felon. You're They're a still thought felons. of as, as felons. Yeah. yeah. So, so my bill, we also uh, expunge the record as part of this package. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that designation as an exoneree, it, it's something that we, we hope that um, with the compensation, with, with some of the other changes in the bill, uh, that we're going to be able to, to at least put these people um, maybe not in the great, greatest position. They probably deserve much more for, right. for what they've gone through, but it at least gives them a starting point to pick up the pieces of their lives and move on. Sure, sure. 
this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are State Senator Steve Bita, a Democrat from Warren, who is uh, one of the sponsors of uh, bills that are headed to the governor's desk that would provide compensation for people who are wrongfully convicted and spend time in prison. We're also joined by Julie Bomber, uh, who was wrongfully convicted and then later released. Uh, has this happened to you? Has this happened to someone you know or someone in your family, this idea of wrongful conviction? And what do you think about the way the state of Michigan treats uh, people who find themselves in this situation now, should they get compensation? Should you be entitled to some money, some kind of remuneration if the state wrongfully convicts you and sends you uh, to prison? Also, does this get to wider questions about our criminal justice system? Do we do enough uh, in the first place to make sure that uh, the wrong people are not convicted and sent to prison. 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. What do you think about the idea of compensating people who have been uh, wrongly convicted? Uh, Julie, I'm curious about uh, the, the process that you went through in terms of your trial and, and conviction. Uh, what kind of defense did you have? Uh, During that? the first trial? Uh-huh. Well, I retained an attorney. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, I was uh, in the process of formally adopting my nephew. Uh-huh. So the adoptive attorney, after the uh, state decided that they wanted to uh, charge me, he um, told me that he could no longer um, offer his services, that he re- recommended that I get a criminal defense attorney and a bail bondsman, So, which I did. I had 72 hours to turn myself in. And I retained an attorney, and basically, um, from the little bit of research that I did as a layperson, uh, with my family, uh, we 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 were quite sure that uh, that Philip's injuries were sustained during his birth because of uh, the difficulty in it, and so that to us that was the heart of our defense, and so for 18 months we were prepping for this trial, and um, uh, believing that uh, you know uh, that this is how my attorney was going to represent the case, yeah. being that there was no crime, that uh, simply uh, there was issues during the birth or too much Pitocin, uh, which my sister was given two doses. And Pitocin, as we all know, or if you know, if you've done the research like I've done it, uh, you know, they administer that to a a mother who has passed her due date. But my sister, she was two weeks before her due date. They broke her water. They administered this. And so we we firmly believed that that was the the origination of his um, illness. However, though, during my, the, the opening statements of my trial, uh, my attorney, he basically um, very dramatically pointed at me and said, it didn't happen on her watch. And I remember thinking right then and there, he's changed the whole game plan because <laughs> right. of, you know, what's it that didn't happen right. and who else's watch would it be on because I was the primary care god, yeah. caregiver. So it was it was pretty... Um, uh, Traumatizing, sure. if you will. Sure. So, yeah. Um, uh, Steve Bita, uh, before we get to break, uh, talk about this 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 sort of issue in in the larger context. This idea that people who haven't done anything 
end up being convicted. We also have a problem in Michigan mm -hmm. uh, around the way we protect uh, people's innocence and their rights. Yeah, that, it's a broader issue than, than, than just this part of it. This is one part I was trying to heal the pain of, of sure. somebody that lost their freedom and lost their, uh, their live, lives for, for a period of time. But um, there are things that we need to look at as we continue to reform our criminal justice system. I'm an attorney. I've been an attorney for a number of years. and I've worked in uh, prosecutor's offices, and uh, uh, there's a lot of great people that work there. There's a lot of great people in the system, the police uh, judicial system, I think, is still one of the best in the world. But I think like anything man-made, there's going to be problems, and there's always room for improvement. So um, I think one of the areas that we need to look at is the area of indigent defense uh, and improve um, the, the services available there. Yeah. Um, you know, I like always to tell people, you might spend a little bit more on an indigent defense, but you're going to save a lot more if you're not locking up the wrong people. Absolutely. And Thirty some thousand dollars a year it costs to exactly. have somebody in prison. And on top of that, the real person that was a perpetrator of the crime is getting away with is it. Is out there, right? So we, we need to do a lot better job on that. And it, it's a compassion issue. It's certainly a justice issue. As an attorney, I feel very strongly that we should have a system of justice that upholds those greatest ideals of our of our country. And um, I think as we look at our criminal justice system, there are places that we could do changes. And I think we need to do that in partnership with our law enforcement and our, our attorneys, our, our judges, and the community in general, um, because these are issues that impact all of us. Um, Julie Balmer probably never thought she'd be plucked out of relative obscurity, I guess you could say it. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're, we're regular lives that we live, and yet she is, is thrust into this judicial proceeding and, and loses her freedom right. um, over something that she didn't do. And we see that periodically, and it's horrifying. And I always like to tell people, um, you might remember something when you were growing up or something in your life where you were accused of something and you were blamed for something that you didn't do. Well, take that a step further. And somebody that's accused of something, blamed for something and punished for something, punished for something where they lost their freedom and their reputation and everything else, you know, that, that shouldn't happen. It doesn't happen a lot, right. but it does happen. And we need to find ways to rectify that and preventing it from happening in the future. Yeah. All right, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about wrongly, wrongfully convicted inmates with State Senator Steve Bita and exoneree Julie Bomber. And we'll want to hear from you, 313-577-1019. We think about the idea of how we treat people who have been wrongly, wrongfully convicted here in Michigan. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are State Senator Steve Bita, Democrat from Warren, and Julie Bomber, who is an exoneree, someone who was wrongfully convicted, spent time in prison here in Michigan, uh, and then was set free, but was never compensated for the time she spent in jail. Of course, that's different. Uh, from many other states where if you're wrongfully convicted, you do get some sort of remuneration for that injustice. Uh, there are bills awaiting 
Governor Snyder's signature that would change that here in Michigan. Uh, we're talking about uh, that issue and uh, whether you think uh, that should happen. What do you think about the idea of people who are wrongfully convicted getting money, some sort of compensation for the time they spent in prison? Should the governor sign the bills? Uh, also, should we be doing more to make sure that people aren't wrongfully convicted here in Michigan? Our indigent defense system in this state is also in need of some repair. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Joanne in Detroit. Joanne, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, hi. Thank hey. you for having me. Sure. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, I sure can, Joanne. Okay. Well, I just saw on Senator Bita's uh, webpage that it's $50,000 a year for the every year of wrongfully convicted. Yeah, I absolutely fully support that. Um, I also think uh, in the larger context, something should be done about prosecutors or law enforcement people who uh, withhold exculpatory information. There are people prosecuted or, or wrongfully convicted because of prosecutorial misconduct. And I would almost say some of that 50 grand, if, you, if prosecutorial misconduct is found, should perhaps be taken from the prosecutors <laughs> or, or, or the wrongdoers. Uh, yeah, there is a lot of damage to being wrongfully convicted. I was not wrongfully convicted, but I was falsely arrested. Uh, and uh, the the police and uh, withheld videos that showed that the police officer lied. Uh, the only re- the, the only reason that they didn't get up to uh, test the lie and falsely convict me, I believe, is that there were people who posted videos on YouTube. And once the prosecutors saw those existed, and then finally looked at the others, they dropped the case. Yeah. Then I was able to go back to court and get myself declared factually innocent. Now I did get some money for it. I was compensated, but the Harvard-trained attorney wouldn't admit that it was a false arrest. But I was sub. Subsequently declared. So, so uh, Joanne, you were con- compensated how? I filed a civil oh, uh, you lawsuit. Filed a suit. Okay, and yeah. I and I was uh, given a settlement. I wish I had taken them to trial, but I had other issues at the time uh, that had to do with it. They also knew they were going to lose, so they gave me an offer I had to take. It's called the Rule 68 right. offer. Right. And I, uh, so had I gone to trial and gotten less money, I could have been on the hook for their attorney fees, and all I needed is, you know, one juror off. Anyway, they knew it wasn't true. But back to yeah. the, no, you know, uh, jo- the, Joanne, there thanks. are psychological consequences, and that $50,000 doesn't even really begin to address that. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. Thanks, uh, Joanne, as always. Uh, thanks very much uh, for the call. Julie, I'm, I'm curious of whether you thought uh, ever about suing to try to to try to get some sort of compensation. Well, yeah, of, of course, originally, um, after my the not guilty verdict came out, uh, the lawyers at uh, U of M, they um, recommended somebody. Um, however, I was told through that individual that I did not have a, a civil suit because the two doctors who testified against me uh, during the first trial, they kept uh, their same testimony and testified against me during the second trial. And even though it wasn't accurate testimony or truthful testimony, they would have to own up to it, if you will, in a civil court. In order and, for you to, in order uh, for to me, prevail. Yeah. Right. And since they didn't do that, 
there was no case. Yeah. However, my my nephew, he still has a couple of years under the statutes to sue the doctors. And so I would I would be hopeful that uh, his parents, his adoptive parents, that. would yeah. yeah would pursue that. Yeah. Go ahead. What, one of the things, um, and, and your caller uh, hit on the fifty thousand. You're right. It's not enough to uh, address things like um, in mental anguish or or psychological damage. Uh, that's why we have the companion bill that uh, Stephanie Chang uh, rep, uh, worked with her on this to to provide some of those services to those individuals. Uh, and there are some cases where people can maintain a civil rights suit. A lot of these cases, though, we find, and, and without going too much into the, the details of each individual ones, some of them, they're just a series of bad decisions and mistakes by people who may have been acting in their, what they thought was sure. what, what the pursuit of truth. Right. Um, so they weren't doing it intentionally. They, they weren't doing it intentionally. It's not misconduct. And it's not misconduct. Not to say that there isn't misconduct that happens. Those those are Those cases are are the, probably the only few cases where they can actually pursue a legal action effectively. Right. Most of the cases they can't, or the time has gone so far that the memories are gone or evidence has gone to, uh, to, to, to blame that person. So what we try to do with this is make it as clean cut as possible and said, look, we're not looking at attributing blame to anybody. We're trying to put these people who suffered greatly into a better position than they are now. Yeah. Uh, let's take another call here. Kenneth and Warren. Hi. To Detroit today. Yeah, go ahead, Kenneth. Uh, hey, Stephen. Hey, uh, Senator Vita. I just want to say that I definitely think that the uh, the compensation of $50,000 a year is definitely right and morally justifiable. I think that's a good price to give the people who are wrongfully convicted. And uh, I just want to say I hope that, I don't know, I haven't been looking into statistics too much, but I hope that there isn't that many people that are wrongfully convicted and exonerated. Because yeah. to me, that'd be... Uh, be a big uh, visible flaw in our justice system. Sure, sure. Yeah. Kenneth, great, great point. Uh, Steve, how how common is this? Um, well, for those who've been um, exonerated, it's a relatively low number. It's uh, average is two years, actually less than two, but you, you have no such thing as a 1.7 person. So we say two a year uh, in Michigan. Um, I think in Michigan, we've had since they started looking at this about 66 exonerees. Um, many of those individuals are no longer with us, yeah. but uh, uh, it's it's. Um, I think two a year would be too many, but it's fortunately not twenty a year, or, or a greater number than that. Now, there's probably going to always be some out there that just probably, sadly, innocent. Uh, they were wrongfully convicted, and they may never be able to prove their innocence. Yeah, uh, that's that's a that's a flaw that we just have to you know try to figure a way of finding that out, but. Um, that's the thing that keeps me up at night is how do you deal with those situations out there? Sure. Okay, State Senator Steve Bita, how how likely is it, do you think, uh, the governor will sign this? Oh, I, I want to give uh, kudos to the governor on this yeah. because we've been working with him um, on this. He's been pretty open, I He's think. He's been very open, and I, I talked with him a couple years ago about this, and uh, I had to sit down, and he was very open with it. And um, uh, he has actually uh, put some of his, his people, we had a work group, uh, on this and they they sat down with us and um he's been a good partner with yeah. us it's been a very bipartisan effort yes. i should say yeah. of republican co-sponsors instance of that these days in lansing right? yeah exactly <laughs> in fact it came out of the senate unanimously and it came out of the house with i think only two no votes yeah um yeah. and both committees they were unanimous all right uh thanks very much for being here also julie Balmer, thank, thank you very you. much for coming and telling your story all right tomorrow from 5 to 7 p.m at the urban consulate in detroit join us in the parlor to hear and discuss our new podcast series 
race created equal. It explores modern day inequality through a historical lens using insights from experts with storytelling. There's limited seating available. RSVP with the Urban Consulate. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Wayne State's public radio station. See you tomorrow.